the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Everybody who's been in here at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 already getting the conversation going. We will get to some of your comments, some of your questions all throughout the show. This is a Monday, 11 a.m. Happy Labor Day, boys, everybody who's out there listening. Um, we are going to have our upon further review, but the week's not done. So Pole Assassin and some other Monday pieces that will become regular once the schedule gets a little more regular, that uh, they will be coming up after week two and so forth. But we had Sunday night action. We still got Clemson and Duke here on a Monday. And the very biggest story here on this Monday morning is what happened in Orlando on Sunday night. Bud, you were there. Danny, you were there. Florida State coming up with a big, big, big statement win, 45-24 to against LSU. Uh, the wide receivers could not be kept back. Two wide receivers go over 100 yards for the first time in five years for Florida State. Ooh, Keon Coleman, every bit as advertised. Um, you know, there's big picture stuff. LSU is panicking. Brian Kelly's already, you know, just, just throwing his team out there. You know, just they weren't, weren't the team that they thought – we were. Danny, what went right? What was what was the best piece of taking it? I saw you at field level. You were there with your daughter. She was rocking the Canel jersey. What was it like in Camping World Stadium to watch the Seminoles uh, really arrive in the big stage? It was awesome, man. It was real. It was incredible. Um, saw Bud. Got to hang out with Bud a little bit at the Madison Social Tailgate. That was fun. Uh, saw so many cover three shout outs. Love cover three. Love you guys. Bud, the God. And they're like, Chip, our ACC boy. And then they're like, well, I lost my shirt back in Fornelli this weekend. Like it was, Come on. it was awesome. Nobody said that. So much fun. <laughs> I wouldn't make that up, but it was, uh, it was incredible. But, you know, before the game, there was like, but it's like a cautious confidence because you don't want to be that team that has all this hype and you start like going out there and ver. So it was like a a, a nervous, anxious uh, atmosphere before the game. But my goodness, did they deliver? And I would say the biggest surprise to me was how the defense stepped up in that first half. A couple of goal line stands were phenomenal. Shaky first half for Jordan Travis, but the defense held it. Held Dial up, Danny. Dial up, Danny. Danny, dial up. Danny, dial up. <laughs> oh, no. We're, we're a little bit shaky. Yeah. Oh, no. it, it was. Right, I mean, but, it, but, but pick up the baton. All Let's right, go. Danny, I, I, I got you. No, no, no boy squad up here. Um, Yeah, I, I sit next to some of my friends in the stands, and I, I just said, hey, like, on any movie that you might see on, like, TNT or TBS, they LSU should have killed Florida State when they had the chance. 
Mm. I mean, to, to, to have 300 yards in the first half mm-hmm. and 17 points, you know, is what are the odds that they're really able to continue that the second half, right? And in the first half offensively, I thought LSU, they had a good plan to stop FSU's counter game, something we talked about in, in the, uh, the, the big game preview that we do midweek. I thought Wingo did a tremendous job. Like Florida State could not get to that down block that you need the center to hit on counter because they basically took Wingo and did exactly what we said they'd probably do with Mason Smith if he could play, which was just absolutely shoot that gap. And Marie Smith you know, is a good player, but Wingo looks great. And Florida State ultimately said, okay, this is what they're doing with this. We see how they're using Harold Perkins to essentially you know, play off ball like they talked about all offseason. Mm-hmm. And they were going to use him to spy Jordan Travis and look, from the spy element, I thought he did pretty well. Um, but I think probably at halftime, Norvell and, and Atkins, uh, the OC for FSU, probably said, mm, okay, so this is what they got. We could change a couple things up here, and they still don't have an answer on the outside for Keon Coleman or Johnny Wilson. I mean, their answer is essentially double Keon, hope Johnny drops the ball, which he did mm-hmm. twice in the first half. And he still had seven catches and drew two pass interference penalties. For 100 yards and, and i mean he's their number two receiver they are much deeper on the offensive line than they were you know a, a while ago right and we talked about this they don't have a lot of high-end offensive line talent but they they swapped out robert scott they put in bless harris at left tackle right they they, they took out to major manual they, they, they put in keandre jones who they got from auburn like they have eight guys on the offensive line they trust and they essentially played matchups on the offensive line and were able to slow Wingo a little bit. They, I think they changed how they blocked some of the stuff. They ran a little more stretch. They went to some of the two-back stuff. They went to, some, to kind of some same-side stuff, back tight end. And I think they got LSU formationed into some looks that they thought they could hit some plays out of. And really, once they started doing that, LSU had a good initial plan. And they really didn't have a counter to Florida State's counter for how they wanted to run counter. And definitely <laughs> right. I, I've been trying to say it all morning. But it's a bit of a tongue twister. So they 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 had the they had the chalk last, and then LSU basically didn't have answers because LSU's corners are not very good, and no. Florida State's receivers are really good. I, like I don't. Here's the part of the thing for me. I don't know if LSU's corners are as bad as they looked last night. Like I was talking about this before the show a little bit with Jordan and Chip. Like Deuce Chestnut got roasted all night long like anytime i was tweeting it's like anytime four is on 22 the ball is going to four and that is precisely Keon was what, pointing to him yeah oh, yes. like, yeah. too little yeah and that is precisely what the game plan was a lot like anytime they, jordan travis looked over and saw that it's like okay that's where we're going with the ball but like i think the biggest problem for lsu's defensive backs was like what you just said chip too small like they are not big enough to match up with what florida state had at receiver with you know wilson obviously is a six seven giant but it's not like keon coleman is tiny he's like what six two six three on himself so like it was just put the ball in the air and there's really nothing lsu's defensive backs can do short of draping the arms and maybe getting a pass interference call along the way so it was just an impossible matchup for them. It was a very impressive performance for Florida State. And you're right. They did a much better job adjusting at halftime because Wingo was absolutely just having his, you know, having his way in the first half. And pretty much as he went, so went the LSU defense. Like they got off the field when he was getting penetration. And when he wasn't, Florida State was scoring. And in the second half, he was not getting penetration. He was taken out of it by the scheme, what they were doing, and Florida State couldn't be stopped. And then Harold Perkins was I mean, I don't think Perkins played bad. I think you can question LSU's decision and how to use them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of those things, because I saw it too. It was It's similar to what I thought I saw Illinois do with Toledo on Saturday night, in that they were using him as a spy on Jordan Travis, because they were figuring, you know, we, we've talked about with Jordan Travis, like he's the Heisman moment guy. He makes crazy things happen when plays break down. He's great off script. And they didn't want Jordan Travis to really get the chance to go off script. And it's... You know, like you take away a guy's strength to get him to just try. I, I don't know. I feel like well, you probably, then he heated up at one point. He had had 11 completions in a row. Yeah. He yeah. just didn't miss. He got in total rhythm. He said, okay, if you're going to sit back because you're so afraid of what I'm going to do with my legs, I've got these matchup advantages. So let's just start picking you apart. Jaheim Bell also had a big performance right here. I mean, it was stunning to see that in a Florida state LSU matchup, when Florida state had the ball, 
there were noticeable and significant matchup advantages. And you expect that to be a wash when you've got the talent level of those two programs. And I mean, we get, I want to like keep giving flowers to Florida State before we move on, but warning signs for LSU in terms of you know what's going to be coming up later in the season. They were the, the one reason I really never panicked on it was because Florida State had guys open every drive. And th- when they failed in the first half, it was generally pass pressure because Wingo w- w- was killing it. Or Johnny had two pretty crucial drops. And Jordan had like three really kind of sketchy misses. But they always had guys open consistently. Like that never changed. LSU never covered Florida State really the entire night. And they they were just consistently open. And I was like, okay, like what are the odds that Jordan just continues to miss these guys and that and that Wilson is going to drop every ball? Like pretty low. Because they're all like they're getting open pretty consistently. Um, uh, I think I think DK versus the hotel Wi-Fi. I think I might have won. Don made sure halftime adjustments, dude. But, yeah, halftime <laughs> adjustments. Uh, Tom, you said to the counter. Coleman six two or six three. Don't show, that dude is all of six four. Like yeah. I, I was doubting the size too. I mean, I, there is a reason Kuiper moved him up to number two, uh, and I think he's. I think he's entrenched himself in that spot right now. Like, good luck trying to unseat him from there. He's gonna be. He's gonna be right on Marvin Harrison Jr.'s uh, heels. Um, the other thing is too. This is where I think Jordan Travis, the veteran presence and leadership, kind of comes to the forefront. And Jared Verse and and everybody, ever, all the veterans, like the experience on this team, because it was not a good first half. Like Bud mentioned, the two or three shaky decisions. I thought the one where he forced the screen pass because he eluded pressure. I thought that was a really good defensive play. It was an ill-advised pass, but like the guy made a pretty good play. Yeah. The third down coming out where he tried that, and he just heaved it right over the middle. Oh, the jump that pass? Was, yeah. That, yeah, the yeah. jump, whatever that was, that's one that'll get you fired and it'll get you benched in a lot of circumstances. And I was literally, I was wondering, I'm like, one man, his, conference, his confidence has to be shaken after that one. Defense gives up the big third and long in like 30 seconds left, allows them, but they get the stop. They get a field goal. They go into halftime. They settle down. That to me is what like really makes this team potentially dangerous is the leadership. They don't get frazzled. They didn't get flustered. Um, the other thing is too, like if they would have come out and execute, like Bud said, I mean, it could have been like 49 to seven. Like, if they, if Johnny Wilson catches some of those, the refs with the rough in the passer, and you know uh, those were kind of joke calls. I mean, that, I don't know, maybe it was the home crowd, but they looked uh, awful. On they were, they weren't that. You thought they calls. hit them? You thought Jaden I mean, Daniels? I, you thought they hit him on the first I, one? I hate the rules that they enforce, but I think by the rules they were pretty solid calls. I feel my eleven year old daughter said, "No way, they should have called a flag." She was right there, so oh, no. <laughs> <He> knows ball. <laughs> All right. A couple stats here. LSU before garbage time, right? So like the final two minutes. Well, yeah, they had that one 75-yard touchdown. I mean, that was the thing is right. we were almost cruising towards a second half like shutout with no drives of longer than 40 yards for this LSU offense. They couldn't run the ball. They couldn't move the ball. It was problematic for the Tigers uh, once Florida State's defense started playing. It was just everything was spinning out of control uh, for LSU in the second half. Jaden Daniels, 0-3 before garbage time on passes that went further than 15 yards in the air. Mm. Jordan Travis, four of six. Points in the red zone. LSU, 3.2 per trip. Florida State, like six. Which means we almost score a touchdown every single time. It was the what, the one field goal early mm-hmm. in the third yeah, quarter. It, it was, it was, they, they doubled him up. Yeah. You know, um, the thing is, I think what you saw was a team that didn't make a ton of mental mistakes, right? Like neighbors got his all the time. They targeted him a lot, but you Dropped weren't. A lot bl- too. Yeah, right. And you weren't <laughs> blowing coverages deep. Like you you saw it, like they they made LSU earn almost everything. And you know, they stayed in the fight by keeping the ball in front of them. It gives you a chance to have some goal line stands. You know, Florida State was much better in short yardage in this game. Really kind of in those situations, kind of pushed force or kind of pushed LSU around, which which that did that part did surprise me. Me too. They they were the better like short yardage team. Um that was that was interesting. You know, offensive line change. I'm just going through my notes here. Uh, yeah. I mean, 16 catches, 226 yards, three touchdowns, two pass interference was drawn. 
Is that but for the between the two? Is that between Coleman? The two. Yeah, between yeah. the two. But Bell had a good game too. I mean, this yeah. is just like a mm-hmm. it sky's the limit, man. Like this this Florida State team's gonna play at Clemson, and we don't know what Clemson's gonna look like. We're gonna find out Monday night, but talk about some some real intrigue. Like to be able to get these two games back to back, um, both in a big national spotlight. We'll we'll see what the ACC title picture is looking like uh, once we get to see the Tigers. But Florida State, it, there is what? The pit game late might scare you. Road, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But this this is a Florida State team that, like we always said, can win every single game on its schedule. But you feel a lot better about where Florida State sits in terms of trying to get to 11-1, and 12-0, playing for an ACC championship on that first Saturday in December. I will say, like, like we still have to see Clemson tonight. But my takeaway from the first weekend is, while the bottom of the league is still kind of eh, like the three teams that we think are supposed to be good all looked the part. Like North, North Carolina's Carolina. win over South Carolina. We talked about it on Saturday night. It's not just that they won the game, it's that they were kind of beating South Carolina up, which we're not used to seeing from that team. So if Clemson goes out and takes care of business tonight, like we are looking at an ACC this year, possibly that could be really fun at the top to follow. Also, Miami, Miami look good. Yeah. Like they, they didn't, yeah, but they it's didn't Miami look amazing, Ohio, so. but they at least they took care of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good. So yeah. basically, who's ready for Florida State, Colorado, in the Natty? Oh, <laughs> dude, <laughs> we're ready or what? That would be like a hundred and five to forty. If Florida <laughs> State and Colorado, Colorado had zero tackles for loss on eighty on eighty TCU snaps, <laughs> if those two meet in the national title game, high school recruiting will be finished. It will just be the transfer portal from now on. Did you, oh, did you see who was in the stands watching uh, Keon Coleman? Who? Mel Tucker? No, number one receiver recruit, Jeremiah Smith. Uh, Ooh. Okay. Ooh. From from Chaminade, he was tweeting about Keon Coleman. You know who else was? I saw a lot of NFL scouts in that sideline last night, too. Yeah. <laughs> I saw uh, – I think I saw Darnell. Did you see Darnell down there? Docket? Yeah, he was there. There was he a ton was, of dudes. He, that was, was, he was coaching up Wilson and Verse on the sideline. Oh, yeah. Is that legal? Well, maybe just telling him what, what he did. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hi. Somebody get the NCAA on the phone. All right. LSU. I mean, the the comments after the game, like maybe this is Brian Kelly trying to motivate his team. For some reason, we thought we were somebody else. We thought we were the two-time national champion Georgia Bulldogs or something. I don't know. We were mistaken. You think? Do you think that this LSU team writes the ship, or is this the kind of result that all of a sudden could get a little shaky? Because the talent's not different. LSU is more talented than most of the teams on its schedule. The win total was at nine and a half. LSU can still win ten of its next eleven games and go over that win total based on if that talent plays to its peak potential. But they didn't on Sunday night against Florida State. And do you have confidence that they're going to be able to do that often enough to hang in the mix in the SEC West? Yes and no. Like, I I don't want to overreact to anything we see from one game. Like, I don't want to think Alabama is much better than I thought because it crushed Middle Tennessee. And I don't want to think LSU kind of stinks because it got beat by a really good Florida State team. That said, I am strongly reconsidering the idea that LSU is going to win the West. But I don't know. If you look at that schedule... How many more teams are they going to be facing that have Jordan Travis, Keon Coleman, and Johnny Wilson? It's like, how many more times is that going to be a huge problem for them? Like, when they face Alabama, will they have the same game plan with Harold Perkins against Jalen Milrow? Maybe. Maybe they adjust and realize they shouldn't. But can Milrow beat him through the air the same way Jordan Travis was able to? So I, I think LSU is going to be fine. Maybe it's not a playoff contender. Yeah, I, I think to, to Tom's point, I mean, Grambling, Mississippi State, Arkansas over the next three weeks. Yeah, they they should they have some right. chance to get the secondary right, or as right as you can get. I mean, to me. But what about the offense? They still can't run the ball unless it's Jaden Daniels. Yeah, that's, that's a problem. That is a, a bit of a problem. Um, but Florida State's defensive line might be one of the better ones they face all year too. Texas it, A&M was the only one that I was adding to the mix. I had to do post-game Bama. reaction. Yeah, I mean, Bama, yeah. obviously. Well, but yeah. like Bama was the top line, and, and we were going through the schedule, and we are like, all right, so where is the other spot where you could exploit what Florida State did? And I thought that Texas A&M defensively potentially could cause problems. And look, Texas A&M won that game last year. So, mm-hmm. 
that that's it's still it's still a team that should win a bunch of games this year. I think part of the reason passing offenses, and I think that's the key. I think part of the reason they can't run the ball goes to the problem that they have with Jaden Daniels as far as passing downfield. Like defenses are kind of just able to load up in the short area because they're not worried about getting beat over the top by the passing game. So it's hard to run into stacked boxes. To to your point, Chip, though, I I guess this is Brian Kelly never changing. Remember when he was Notre Dame early and he was like, you know, this roster isn't very good. We got to clean out some of the guys from the past. I mean, just kind of he's very blunt. Mm-hmm. I do wonder how the players in that locker room received those comments. Like you could have easily said the other team wasn't what we thought they were. You know, like they were way better, but instead he chose to throw his own guys under the bus. You know, and like I just thought it was he very owned blunt. it too. Like to, he owned the, it whole, too, yeah. Yeah, the whole press conference was him being like, I didn't coach well enough. We didn't have them prepared. Like the Brian Kelly was not just throwing them under the bus. I thought it was a, you know, we, we haven't, we haven't had Brian. Brian Kelly was so happy. Everything was exceeding expectations last year, right? You know, this Except is. Except what? Remember early? Wasn't there a little exchange with the media early when it was a little bit testy? Early, like, and I think it'll get turned. Remember, I think it was Somebody after was Florida late, State, and lost. he was like, mm-hmm. he was like, "You're late." Yeah. Was like, "Why don't you win a championship?" Yeah, remember that was a little awkward. Like, I think it could get a little squirrely in Baton Rouge, you know, before you know, and they might be fine in Baton Rouge. <laughs> things getting yeah. squirrely. No, no way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when if we go back to the subscriber only mailbag we did, right? Which, if you're listening to us on audio, hey, turn those notifications on YouTube. Even if you don't watch us on YouTube regularly. Sometimes we don't put the stuff on the audio. And we had to pick who's a collapse team from the top 10. You know, and early spring, I was really high on LSU. And just like the stuff we kept hearing out of camp, vibes wise. And this is this is strong vibes, was basically love it. I don't like this. Like, I don't like how they the media down there keep talking up the fight. Like practice fights are normal. The fact that they keep going back to the fight tells me there's something off culturally. Right. Like what what's wrong? Why are some of these transfers you took that we know are really high-level football players not playing? Like, is is there something behaviorally, culturally, buy-in? I, I think there's some. I I think the vibes are off. I will you also know? say, Chip and I heard from an anonymous little birdie before the game that LSU's coaching staff was not super confident in their team before last night's game, hmm. and they've got. Good checks on the uh, on the vibe for sure. All right, a uh, question from the chat. Mark says, what team will Florida State play during the regular season that has a better O-line or D-line than LSU has? Basically looking at the schedule for Florida State, who might be able to be a, you know an upgrade in competition? O-line, nobody. Clemson on the D-side. Yeah, I think Clemson and maybe Miami on the D-side, depending on, on how they continue to progress. Maybe... Maybe not better, but maybe on a similar level, NC State. I think NC State's probably pretty good up front. Yeah, their not offensive the line struggle though against UConn. Yeah. You know their mm-hmm. offensive line and yeah. their defensive line. Yeah, but the the left side of that LSU line is damn good, guys. Like the Del- yeah. Dellinger and Campbell, like that was a great battle to watch. Ross, so, <laughs> <laughs> is it Dellinger? The, I'm sure the chat will, will, will correct me instantly if I mess up the kid's name, but. Uh, yeah, like I thought that was a pretty good front. You, you weren't winning every single down. I think a lot, a lot of your wins came from not getting pushed around. Like a, a stalemate was really a win. Like that, you're going to see a lot of guys drafted off the LSU offensive line. Mm. Yeah, so uh, a lot to uh, to still go for, a lot to still play for here for LSU. Anything else on the game we want to hit before we move on? Florida State, Florida State, Colorado. Yeah, book it. Playoff. <laughs> book it. I mean, that is the. It would be hilarious. That is the. It would, would be hilarious. I do think. Uh, how many touchdowns, given the pace at which Colorado wants to play, and obviously, like, go back to his, his Memphis days. M- Mike is extremely comfortable. He's like, "Oh, you want to play a crazy shootout game? Like, been there, done that. Like, I would." Come play it's that, like please. Like the old UCF Memphis games, right? Exactly. Like Fifty-two yeah. to forty-nine. But Mike's yep. like a and poker player who prefers Omaha. You know, he's like, all right, let's just let's just up the craziness and seems to like <laughs> to, to embrace the chaos. I very much I mean, prefer Omaha. See, Tom likes chaos. How yeah. many touchdowns would FSU score on Colorado? Like over under of nine, I think is what I would say. Given the pace, Colorado was twelve possessions, right? Yeah. And they go nine and three on finding pay dirt. I, I think so. Yeah, because like, you know they're you might get thirteen possessions because Colorado wants to play really really fast. Yeah, 
Bud does not believe. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm I believe in that offense. You keep keep doubting as much as you want. All right, coming up on the other side, the ACC. You know, on a, a little bit of a run here. You get the North Carolina win. You get the Florida State win, and you get some conference expansion news that we still haven't even talked about. So we got to get into that and more from the weekend. Plus, upon further review, next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, it was 8 a.m. Eastern Time, 5 a.m. Stanford Cal Time on Friday when the ACC officially voted to add Stanford, Cal, and SMU as conference members. This will be beginning next season. They will join for all of their sports, and the details include Stanford and Cal uh, giving back about you know 70% of media rights payouts and SMU going without taking the full share for nine years. That is uh, estimated to generate anywhere between, I've seen 60, $72 million. Some of it will be given to all the members. The rest of it will go into the success initiatives that Jim Phillips and the ACC schools came up with beginning back at their spring meetings where you go out and you win the bowl game, you win championships, then you are going to be getting more money uh, for that. The According to reports, what was a straw poll where there were four no votes, uh, North Carolina, NC State, Florida State, and Clemson. The NC State is the one that flips. North Carolina was a no, and the university president has come out and explained it, but said he supports it. Same thing has happened at Florida State and Clemson. So not the unanimous that we normally see, You know, even if it's not unanimous, this is a very public, no, it was not unanimous, 12 yeses, three noes. Uh, the schools get added. It was just a crawl to get there. You know, no one asked for a siren. Like, Oh, yeah, we did. I got a siren. I got okay. a couple siren requests. You did? Oh, nah, listen, I sometimes check the audience with this. No. And I sometimes look to the audience. If the audience is like, oh, where's the sirens? Where are the sirens? Like, all right, guys, we need to pull this together. <laughs> Stanford, Cal, and SMU did not do it. Danny, are you? What's what was the the way that we move forward here, uh, looking at the ACC from a football and sort of conference realignment perspective? Um, it was interesting because last night Greg Sankey and Jim Phillips were both there, right? And I, I actually took a picture of them talking, and I was going to tweet it out and be like, "What are they saying?" You know, back and forth. Um, talk to them both. When I asked Jim Phillips about this, I was like, I, I approached it like, congrats. You know, I was like, hey, congrats on the expansion, you know, way to keep things together. And he he basically, like, this was by necessity, which is kind of, I think, what we all thought. Like, we had to do something. We couldn't just keep the status quo. We're trying to add value as much as we can. But I don't know. I mean, it doesn't – but, like, the, the additional value monetarily, is it worth – kind of having a couple brands that don't really fit that the travel is going to be across the country and they don't really add to the competitive, you know, nature of the, the conference. Like they're not going to make you a better football conference was really what matters. So, and I get why we didn't get sirens because everybody knew this was coming. You know, we'd been talking about this for a while and it just, it just kind of like, it feels like you're just kicking the can down the road a little bit further, just buying yourself some more time, but it's not the savior. It's not the saving move. I need somebody to explain to me why the Pac-12, as a 12-team conference, had no value to television networks 
yet 10 of the programs and schools in that 12-team conference bring enough value to new conferences to make it worth it for the same television networks to pay the money for them. One, if they were cynical enough, could start to wonder if this is just, hey, all that matters is the time slots. Why should we all fight each other to pay five conferences when we can just pay four of them and move those time slots into the other conferences and save ourselves some money in the long run doing so? It's more expensive to have more conferences to bid on. Correct. So yeah. if we get rid of one of them, we could still keep those time slots. So instead of paying like, well, just these aren't real numbers, but instead of paying 100 million to this conference and 100 to this and 75 to this one and 75 and 50, blah, 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 we'll just pay all four. Like, you know, we'll save ourselves 50 million dollars a year, whatever you want or whatever the bid would be. Well, we do know you that there was a value. They were willing to pay. $30 million a year, which is close to what the Big 12 deal is. And the Pac-12 said no. You also don't need, if you're if you're ESPN or CBS or NBC or whomever, you don't you don't need multiple late night window games. No, I just need Cal or Stanford to play a home game, a home conference game each week. Just alternate it. One week we're gonna we're probably gonna get Cal in the late night game. The next week we'll get Stanford. You probably get a marquee opponent. I don't know half the time out there, where at least people will watch a marquee name in a standalone time slot. There, there are other things here too. Um, again, like you don't like like you guys said, you don't need to support that many teams in the league. But also, I think some of these smaller teams in the ACC find comfort in more teams joining them in terms of, of locking up the future. Uh, if oh, there's a big nerds unite to this. Yeah, and I think if Florida State and Clemson and North Carolina leave, uh, then it does hurt the idea that if if eight schools now left, it would disband, right? Now, in, in order to get more than half, you would need a lot more schools to leave. So I, I think that basically kills that. There, I think. There, there are a lot of commenters in saying that it provides way better matchups. Explain to me how Cal-Boston College is a better matchup than Stanford-Oregon State or Oregon-Purdue is a better matchup than Washington and Arizona. Yeah. Do hey, we have a lot of TV executives in our chat? Because like it's better for TV executives. It's not. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think this is better for college ball fans. Like the, said, they're like all excited about Stanford versus Wake Forest. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Did you see the ACC bump? You see Stanford go over to Hawaii. You see what Cal did. <laughs> that boys had them rolling. Killed them. Yeah. That yeah. Was, no ACC bump for Stanford and Cal was the opposite. That was you know that was me having to eat. Wouldn't it be hilarious? Because. It was impressive. It was not hilarious. They they got that invitation and then they went and showed out over the weekend for sure. So SMU, it's kind of fun. I think SMU is the most attractive of the three schools they had. Same. Yeah, I totally I, agree. I, I, I expect SMU to be a top half team in the ACC. With yeah, their desires there. They yeah, want to they pay, pay the they, money. They want to do what it takes. They don't care. They want yeah. to do what it takes. Like, they're see? not taking money for a decade. They don't <laughs> care. They're like, yeah, no, we don't care about the money. We just trying to win football games. They they will be spending it though. Did you see the press conference? It was a pep rally. Like I mean, they, they are like really? shooting off fireworks to announce their ACC membership. This is a this is a program that was dead in the water. Like 1988, 1989, and you know, finally is at like the bottom of Conference USA in the early 2000s, and, and the climb over the last 20 years has been really impressive. And I, I feel like a lot of uh, people within that program who care a lot about SMU football and are obviously funding this athletic department for nine years just really wanted to be able to make it on the other side of the wall, and were willing to do whatever it takes, and they're fired up about it. I, I didn't sense without that fanfare at Stanford. No, yeah, you didn't see there. You didn't. You must have missed it. Their their uh, pep rally in Palo Alto. The, Are you serious? Was there one? No, <laughs> might have been at the chemistry lab. I don't know where yeah. it was. Um, but SMU, I, you know what though was kind of wild Nerd. is that they get there. They haven't like they got there the same year. They get their opportunity one year later. They're coming in next year, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. As soon as that. So they're one year behind Cincinnati, who went to the playoff, UCF, who ran the table, Houston, who's been knocking on the door. Like they haven't had, they've had, they've made a lot of progress, but it's not like they were knocking on the door consistently. For them, they'd skipped a step, which is great. Like I don't have a problem with it, but they definitely like skipped a step. America, 
you got enough money, you can skip all the steps in the world <laughs> right to the front of the line. <laughs> um, okay, so there was a uh, suggestion that with Oregon State and Washington State left, that that was going to be uh, an American Athletic Conference Mountain West discussion. Then on Friday, uh, Mike Oresco, the American Athletic Conference commissioner, comes right out and says, you know, we've been talking about westward expansion. We are not going to pursue westward expansion. So what is left between Oregon State and Washington State? Does it work as easily as they fold into the Mountain West? Does the Pac-12 try to um, take on the entire Mountain West? Are, are there values to be in in the Pac-12? Do Washington State and Oregon State play each other 12 times? Call it a conference season. <laughs> they can. They've there got was. a war chest. I keep hearing about this war chest of money that if they are able to somehow keep the league together and not fall apart, they, they're going to have to get creative here. Also, and this is, you know, we don't need to go deep on this. Reporting indicates that the AAC, which again publicly said we're not moving west, might be looking at Army uh, as the replacement for SMU. So, you know, before we uh, before we hit the break and get into a punt for the review, the, what's what's your expectation or what are you keeping an eye on in terms of the next uh, the next dominoes in this? I've just stopped following this stuff once the season starts. Like, yes. okay, like I, I asked around. My Florida State guy was like, if if they give us, you know, more money than we're asking, like like than, than they they want to, maybe we'd vote yes. And then, but like he was pretty confident somebody else would, would crack and vote yes. And then, uh, as far as the other stuff, I've just kind of stopped following it, which I think it really really sucks because like Oregon State and Washington State are two really, really good fan bases, man. And, and I know they're not big, but like they are passionate. They really care about their football teams. And I don't see an obvious good spot for them. As far as like the American stuff, I really have no idea. Army seems like a good fit for that league. They already have Navy. Yeah. Occam's Razor, Oregon State, Washington State end up in the Mountain West. The Pac-12 could try to go after the Mountain West. But why, if you're a Mountain West team, are you going to leave for the Pac-12? You Do can you talk about the, the auto bid. And, and yeah. like, like the, 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 the tournament units, this is like the they're really not, nerdy. They're like, not going to have that much longer, bud. Okay. They're going to get rid of that pretty soon. No, it's so, the NCAA tournament. The pitch is the NCAA tournament bid and the NCAA tournament units. And the way that it's been suggested is it just sort of like the, the Pac-12 starts gobbles up the Mountain West. George Klyovkov, obviously, out the paint. Maybe even take the Mountain West commissioner, and now she's the new Pac-12 commissioner. Let me get into Navarez, Gore. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't there like a thirty-five million dollar buyout for the Mountain West? Like, can those schools afford to pay that and then go to the Pac-12 and get a thirty million dollar a year TV deal? It, I mean, it's, it's, that was San leave. Diego State's issue, right? When yeah. they were thinking about going to the Pac-12 in the first place. Yeah, but if they all leave, to whom is the buyout owed? <laughs> to the Pac-12, <laughs> maybe it's an influx of cash that way. All, all right, right. I'm, okay, I'm going to pay this buyout of thirty-five million. Oh, thanks to me. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, right. Like it's a counter I, to the counter to the counter. Yeah. <laughs> Which, and to Bud's point, I think that one of the reasons why this is we're just ready to move on with the season. This news comes out mm-hmm. after like that huge Thursday night where everybody was, you know, up late watching uh, the end of Nebraska, Minnesota, or maybe you were waiting out the haboob in uh, Arizona State, Southern Utah. But this is it's football time. And by the way, Oregon State thumped San Jose State. It did a great job uh, mm-hmm. on Sunday on CBS. We also saw Washington State. Cam Ward had a huge game. The Pac-12 in its last year of daggum existence is 13-0. and mm-hmm. What? Against Best non-conference in the country. Every um, single non-conference game. And like we mentioned, the Washington game, the Oregon game. You know, USC's been putting up big numbers. I mean, it is. The Pac-12 is showing out right now and um it's a it's a bittersweet thing that it's going to be one of the biggest storylines on the field uh, as as they have their swan song year here in 2023 one last thing before we move on about army i think they have to do it kind of because they're kind of being left with no choice but if there is a choice i would like army to consider what has happened to navy since it's been in the american and has had to play a much difficult schedule all season long compared to you recruiting disadvantages physically it's hard for a service academy to keep playing that kind of schedule year in and year out that's true something to keep in mind coming up on the other side we do it every single monday it is our chance to add more context to our instant reaction from saturday night hit some of the games that we weren't able to discuss and had to go back and review plus more notes and nuggets it's a pun for the review next
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, it is a Monday. Uh, next Monday, we'll be able to have Pole Assassin, and we've got something special for you. But I'm very excited about this. Y'all ready to uh, go under the hood, do some upon further review? Yes. Do it. There were terrible calls. Do you want to go ahead and jump in? After further review. After further review. After further review. Yes. Our thanks great. Uh, the great animation team for putting that together for us. Okay, uh, I'll go ahead and get things started because one place that is always easy for a pun for the review are the games that were going on as we were recording the Saturday Night Instant Reaction Show. And among those games that were in the late slate on Saturday were the classic historic battle of Chip Kelly against a non-conference opponent. Okay, <laughs> so Ethan Garber starts the game and it is not going well. And so then we decide to work our way down the quarterback depth chart where, oh, yeah, we just happen to have a five-star true freshman named Dante Moore. Now, Dante Moore came into the game, and yes, he, he had a, a bad decision, a couple bad throws there. But my upon further review is that looking at this UCLA team that you know, took a little bit while to get started in the game, it's very clear the, the mark of delineation. It's when Dante Moore came in, he finishes Seven for 12, 143 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. I think that there is no question when UCLA plays San Diego State, we're looking at Dante Moore as the yep. Bruins' QB1. Mm-hmm. And hopefully Chip will be less upset about the clock rules by then. Did you see his halftime interview there? Yeah. Yeah. What did you guys think about that? I thought that – if Chip wanted his offense to run more plays, his defense should have gotten off the field because Coastal Carolina had no problem running 77 plays in that game. <laughs> I, I think it tells me that Chip likes his football team because if he, if he you know, didn't like his football team, he'd maybe worried about you know, long-term job security and might have to get a job back at ESPN again. But like, if you're just going to rip ESPN, you, you must feel pretty good that you ain't going nowhere for a while. <laughs> he said, but I did you guys notice a lot did you guys, of ads. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys notice, though? Like, did you, did you, what, thoughts on the clock? Like, did you like it, not like it, no difference? I didn't notice, and I'll tell you one thing. I did notice the, I don't know, regional, secondary, you know, not ABC, not Fox, not ESPN Prime. The games went faster, It, mm-hmm. but the games that were on, like last night's game, that was a little quicker. But, like, the, the Fox game, the Colorado game took forever, and it was a long game. So, like, I don't, I, that, I don't think there was any change. It's, I, I didn't notice much. Points-wise, it's been a half point less in the first week of the season than compared to all of last season. But again, we're going to have to see how that plays out over the whole year. Play-wise, I think it's been three or four fewer plays. But again, we have to wait to see how that goes the whole season. I think where we're going to really feel it is, like, the first. if you think of the first week of games, how many really close, exciting games were there? Like, there are a lot of blowouts. So I feel like we're going to need more close and exciting, tense games in which teams are just kind of sucking the air out of the ball in the fourth quarter before we really start to see the impact of these rules. I do think that it it creates for a viewing experience that is more disjointed and choppy because as a percentage of the length of broadcast, commercials now make up a larger percentage. There aren't Mm -hmm. more commercials, but if you shorten the broadcast, but you keep the commercial load the same, it just feels like we're getting more commercial. Like I, I thought TCU Colorado especially felt pretty choppy. It was like constantly commercials, commercials, commercials. And I'm like, do we usually have this many commercials? We do. I, I don't think that there are more commercials. Break. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't uh I don't love it, but at the same time, it, the games are not shorter than they were 
like 20, 25 years ago, right? It's They're just shorter than they were with the whole spread revolution, which created more incompletes, you know, more guys getting out of bounds, all, all that kind of stuff. So we're kind of just getting it back to what it's been, I think, for most of the history of the sport. Stylist. Upon further review, speaking of commercials, the Taco Bell song's a banger. Stuck in my head all weekend. Which one was this? Uh, I'm not going to do it on air. Oh, no, no. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Come on, Tom. No. no. It's royalties. Royalties. Oh, okay. Get this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's stylistic. That, that's what I've seen is that, you know, teams that are running the ball a lot are going to see a major change in the number of possessions per game. I think that teams that are more air raid are probably in play with pace. It's going to be uh, a little bit less of an impact. Like that's when we get two teams that both just like to run the ball. How about this? Let's see. When Northern Illinois plays Miami of Ohio in Mac play, that game is going 249. <laughs> like that thing is going to cook because they're going to be getting first downs on the ground. The clock's going to go, then it's going to continue. But when the clock doesn't stop after first down, but then the first down plays an incomplete pass, then the clock stops. And if you'd run to the line of scrimmage to go get that play off, and then it's an incomplete pass, then it stops. So it's the stylistic matchup. Like that's going to be something when we're looking at totals is going to be trying to figure out when do you have, and you know, it was like this before the clock rules changed. What does the style matchup mean for what kind of game it's going to be, especially when they're lining up together? Because you get two up-tempo, pass-happy teams. I don't think that we can say clock rules and make a, a declaration in terms of what to expect from the total. I think it's more upsets and fewer comebacks. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was an initial thought, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Ends of um, games, end of game does feel like it cooks a little bit faster. Like, look, look at Rutgers Northwestern yesterday. Oh, what a mm-hmm. banger! That, that, that thing was essentially just on fast forward once they got up seventeen nothing. On CBS. congrats Excellent. on the big win. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't go over. I didn't pull a chip. I went one and 11. Um, three and five, baby. I got to tell you, I'm picking myself out of the trending, trending, trending in the right direction. Um, did, okay. did the stool least get off your back? Uh, <laughs> no. The uh, Dante Moore is UCLA's QB one. Definitely my pun for the review. Where I've got a couple. More I got here. one. All right, let's go. I'll, st- I'll stick in the in the Pac-12 too because you and you mentioned this a little bit before. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. I don't, I don't think we completely overlooked them, but I think most people had Oregon, USC, Washington, Utah as kind of the you know the trendier picks for the Pac-12 playing in the championship game. Maybe we need to strongly consider Oregon State, and it's you know I, Jonathan Smith, one of the more underrated teams. I know it was just. And, you know, I know it was San Jose State. You know, you're supposed to win that game, but my goodness, I thought it was impressive. And DJ, you looked, you give him a little play action pass, you let him take some shots down the field, give him some protection, don't make him run the ball all the time. And when he doesn't want to, I think Oregon State, I don't know if they're going to win, but similar to last year, they could ruin somebody's playoff hopes for sure. Mm-hmm. No, they look good. I thought it was important good. for DJ's confidence that he came out and had a really good game. And, Same. um, Himself, like as a as a player, it does not look like he's leaps and bounds different than what he was at Clemson. But at his best at Clemson, he was still really, really good and very capable of being able to. You know, I mean, remember the Wake Forest game? Yeah, he, he went toe to toe. Yeah, he won them the Wake Forest game. So there's definitely um, there's a lot to be excited about here. I was I was very surprised that San Jose State um, was bottled up like they were for a long stretch of this game. Is that a USC thing? Is that an Oregon State thing? Is that San Jose State after having to deal with Zach Branch and USC? Because Oregon State defensively, I would I would just blindly say is probably better than USC defensively. But is yeah. is that a like who who what's the takeaway there since we actually have the common opponent to to look at between those two Pac twelve contenders? I will say San Jose did not have Lockhart and they didn't have Keelan Robinson. They're, they're like they're by far their best receiver and and one of the Mountain West better backs. So uh, that's problematic. And San Jose also had to replace a ton up front uh, on the defensive line, and so they got a bunch of new JUCOs. And I mean, look, there's some chance that they improve throughout the year. It's a well coached football team, but 
I just think Oregon State was a poor matchup for them because you know Oregon State can come out, pound the football. They don't have to rely on DJ. They, they kind of right. set him up in favorable situations because you knew they, they could pound the rock on him. Um, no, but like they look great. Damian Martinez ran for a buck 45. Yeah. Like that's a, on 18 carries. Like that's some explosion right there. His number was like 78 or 80 on FanDuel. That was, uh, I know we don't do props on, on, on the locks, but that was. We I might know. have to start doing that yeah, upon yeah, further was, review. <laughs> <laughs> upon further review, let's add something yes. to Moneyline Sprinkles. Let's take our 75 minute show and let's add another segment. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Um, all right any would anything else or uh, you got I, anything from the notepad or tom i've got some stuff okay like not this is not a typical upon for the review because we still had more games yesterday to watch so it's hard to review other games from saturday but i did because i didn't really pay super close attention to the penn state west virginia game on saturday night i was preoccupied with illinois north carolina south carolina and watching my texas tech red raiders completely screw me over but going back and re-watching it like the offensive line, I, I I said some comments on Saturday night that I wasn't very impressed by it. I think overall they were fine. Like they weren't as good as I think they should be or expected them to be. Maybe West Virginia deserves some more credit than that. But for me, another thing that kind of stood out too is defensively, like overall Penn State was very good defensively. But Abdul Carter and Chop Robinson were kind of anonymous for the most part in that game. Carter finished with only the one tackle. It was a sack, so it was a pretty big tackle. Chop Robinson was mostly negated for most of the evening. Like, it's one game. You don't want to take too much from it. But once you get into the Big Ten play when they're playing Michigan and Ohio State, if they're going to really compete for the East, those guys need to play better than they did against West Virginia. And another game, we didn't talk about it on Saturday because it was a, the, one of the Thursday night games. Hold up. Brief. Can, can I ask Tom something about, about, about the Penn State take? Yeah, as, a, yeah. as a Big Ten guy, I'm really curious. How many offensive lines that Penn State will face do you think are better than West Virginia? Because like I eyeball it and I just see one, Michigan. Like, I'm not sure Ohio State's O-line is better than West Virginia's. It might be. I think by the time Penn State plays Ohio State, their offensive line should be better than West Virginia's. Is Iowa's? No. Okay. Not yet. It's weird. It's it's one of those things. Like, offensive lines sometimes take a few months to really kind of get going. But, no, there's – West Virginia's offensive line did well. I'm going to give them credit for that. But I just it was kind of just, you know, for players of that caliber who should be game wreckers, they were not wrecking much game in yeah. against West Virginia. And then go back to Thursday night, Minnesota, Nebraska. I think I know, like, Northwestern's finishing in last in the West. <laughs> I think Minnesota and Nebraska will be fighting for fifth place. Like, I think they might be better than Purdue, but I think, you know, it's – I was not super enthusiastic or impressed by a whole lot of what I saw from either of those teams on Thursday. And, again, it's the first game of the year. You don't want to put too much stock into it, but ugh. Ugly, ugly quarterback play from both teams. What's uh, what's behind Jeff Sims? Because I almost you get to the point where it gets so bad, and he has such a bad game, and makes you know such poor decisions with the football that you kind of want to bench him like out of mercy. Like I don't want to put him out there; he's going to get booed at the home crowd. And they got a little bit of dilemma on their hands because they got a that was a rough, rough go. And I don't know if there is much. That's the problem. Like where it could get a lot worse. Is it still Chubba Purdy? He's third. There's somebody else at second, I think. But Chubba Purdy's still there. I don't think that that they can bench Sims because if, if you take away the QB run game stuff, do right. you really think that like can, can that offensive line block anybody and get a run game going if you don't have the, the like the, the extra hat that, that you have to account for with the QB run game? And the receivers don't scare anybody. So I mean the fact that Jeff Sims ran 19 times probably tells you all you need to know about uh about Nebraska's offense. I do have uh, a revision slash apology. I, I said Nebraska's defense was probably not any good. I thought they played well. Yeah. I don't know that they're amazing, and I'm not sure how much to attribute that to Nebraska and or Minnesota. Minnesota. We yeah, but at least like they didn't give up freebies, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they made they made Minnesota earn it. They they look like a well coached football team. I, I thought Tony did a nice job with that unit. Upon further review, many people are wondering if Luke Altmyer is the best quarterback in the Big Ten West. I'm not wondering. I just know that he is. Ooh. <laughs> There's my guy, blood right there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all right. Well, who would you not... really take over him? Are you, are you a Mordecai guy? No, no, no. no. I was, I and that's either. actually where I was going to go. Uh, one of my, I, I did not get a chance to get my eyes or my arms around Wisconsin Buffalo on Saturday. Um, Tanner Mordecai was not it, but 
what did we say about Phil Longo in that time when he had a couple good running backs? Like, didn't they both run for a thousand yards? Yeah, they will run that's the day. What we're on pace for right now. <laughs> uh, Ches Malusi, 13 carries, 157 yards, two touchdowns. Braylon Allen, 17 carries, 141 yards, two touchdowns. It did not even matter that we're dealing with a Really bad stat line from Tanner Mordecai. Just 183 yards passing on 30 attempts, one touchdown to two interceptions and a sack. Look, not every team they play is going to be Buffalo, but that is a good rhythm to be in when you're playing in the flow of that offense. If those two running backs, both very good, can rip off long runs, like that is a way that this dairy raid attack, as we have been uh, told, it is branded. I think that Wisconsin... Even with a suspect passing attack right now, that one-two punch is, is pretty awesome. And I, you know, Ches Malusi transferred to Wisconsin. I think he was at Clemson to start his career. So, yeah. 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 And, you know, we were just Braylon Allen, Braylon Allen, Braylon Allen, Braylon Allen. Malusi's a good player, has been for Wisconsin in recent years. And I think that that's, a, that's an encouraging sign in the absence of this great Tanner Mordecai performance that some people were expecting. I agree with that. Um, we gave some Texas State shout-outs on, uh, on Saturday night. I do want to give a shout-out. Like supporting small podcasts, uh, the Win Now or Get Bent podcast, if you're a Texas State <laughs> fan, uh, supported by buying a mug. I think they do a really nice job with, with the, you know, Kev Cardiello over there. Some weird stats from this game, and we gave a lot of flowers to Texas State on Saturday night, so I do want to talk a little Baylor here. Yeah. What the hell? 17% rushing success rate. 10 tackles for loss allowed to Texas State. Mm-hmm. The offensive line is bad. Yeah, like that shouldn't be happening. I mean, Baylor threw the ball down the field effectively. The run game was was terrible. And then Baylor's defense just like they, they got exposed. They, they didn't look very athletic. I uh I don't know what, like, maybe it's one game. Maybe it's just that they hadn't seen that scheme before. Obviously, uh, GJ Kinney is probably an offensive wizard. You know, he played for Jeff Trader in high school, and now they now they play this weekend. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, it's kind of cool. The student becomes the master. I'm, I'm interested there. I, it is among the, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is it, the, the Baylor read is about, probably the, as, as shockingly wrong as I think I was through all of week one, you know, just bad, bad matchup. Sure. You know, overrating Texas state. I got you, but Dave Aranda, Dave Aranda's defense should not get exposed like that. And, um, and the offensive line being a problem is not going to be sustainable. It's, uh, it's not good. Not good. Not, not good, Bob. Not in anyway. Baylor did have their top two corners out in this game, and then their uh, their free safety dislocated his elbow. So that probably has something to do with TJ Finley looking like Patrick Mahomes against them. I, I would think like reasonable expectation that Kenny's a better offensive coach than Brian Harson, and will get more out of him. Yes, throwing for like eighty percent on deep balls probably not sustainable. I, I would just just gonna guess on that one. Oh, that's a uh, challenge right there, TJ Finley. He says you can't complete eighty percent of your deep balls. What are you gonna do about it? Um, Prove them wrong. I have one more UFR. All right. Graham Mertz was one of the better players for Florida on, yes. on Thursday night, and that's a problem. Right? Graham Mertz whole, was one of the better players for Florida. Yeah. Yes. And that's really not was. a good thing. Like, it's good that Graham, like, good for Graham, but also. Graham lost. played to about 85 to 90% Graham. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not too many really silly mistakes. They didn't push the ball down the field well, but the offensive line concerns that we voiced over the summer, and I kind of like put them down a little bit. Like, like, okay, they got everybody back healthy who they needed to get back. Obviously, the, the center missed the game. I don't think that was a an enormous deal. I looked on PFF this morning. All five offensive line starters for the Gators had an under 65 grade. They had, I think, four or five false starts in short yardage situations that turn those mm-hmm. short yardage downs into passing downs. And then of course we talked about this on the show. Uh, I mean, Florida staff is like one of the absolute biggest in college football. And yet they can't seem to figure out that they have double numbers on, uh, on punt team. And so like, I think twice you had special teams penalties that kept drives alive 
for Utah. Utah had like a success rate before garbage time in like the 20s. It, Florida's got to be kicking itself for losing this football game. It was so many self-inflicted errors. They just got out coached. And- I will say the offensive line is a problem, but the false starts in like those third and short situations is something that happens a lot to opposing teams in Utah because that yeah. place is really freaking loud. Well, it's a little stadium, according mm-hmm. to uh, to Instagram. Yeah, a little last stadium. But uh, it's, I will say also, one more upon further review, the SEC is trash. Like, mm-hmm. the SEC had as many yeah, non-conference fair. losses fair. this weekend as the ACC, Big Ten, and Big 12, com- or the Pac-12 combined, three. Like, you lost to Utah, you lost to North Carolina, you lost to Florida State. Just, you can't even beat those poverty conferences anymore. I think your time's up. Mississippi schools are up this weekend. Single-digit spreads for Mississippi State, Arizona, and Old Miss, Tulane. Tulane looked good. Like, Old Miss better bring it. Uh, Tulane's got some dudes on both sides of the line of scrimmage. They're not like a typical American team and how they're built. And quarterback, uh, quarterback's better than what Florida's got. So, um, and and better than what a lot of schools in the SEC have, I think. I'm, I'm curious there. Does the SEC need to expand to catch up to the rest of the country? I, I think. I mean, honestly, do. that's that inaction. You know, it could be the wrong action. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, you need to go out there. Why don't you add Tulane? All right. Bring it back just like it was back in the day. All right. That was, that's always the best part. Was it, uh, it's like a Conference USA title, but then before the Conference USA title, because they won the American last year, it was their first conference title in however many years. They got some SEC swag, some, mm-hmm. some championships from the Southeastern Conference. All right. <clears throat> One quarterback goes 19 for 22 for 308 yards, two touchdowns, adds a score on the ground. Uh, his backup goes 11 for 11 for 114 yards. One touchdown, adds a score on the ground. Dylan Gabriel, Jackson Arnold. What do we think? Jackson Arnold going to win that job on the field? Or are we still going to have all these games thanks to Oklahoma's schedule where we just see them both because Oklahoma's up by a bunch? They got SMU this weekend, and they're at Tulsa, and they're at Cincinnati. Tulsa and, and was, Cincinnati are the, backup quarterback situations. Then, mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I thought the backup for Tulsa was better than the starter. So, oh, like, no, I was saying backup like we will get to QB2 no matter oh, who well, the starter is. I was going deep cut, sicko mode. Tulsa's quarterback got knocked out in this game after being played terribly, and then the backup came in and was basically perfect. Does that mean you were live betting the hell out of Tulsa? <laughs> I uh, I could not find any live betting opportunities in, in that FCS Tulsa game. Um, but I, I did were scared. I, I did notice yeah, that, that he got knocked out. Uh, that's quite the ramp up because then you have to play this team called Texas. Right. You kind of need to figure out, Oklahoma, do we trust Gabriel enough to beat Texas? If not, let's roll the dice with Jackson Arnold. Who looks awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Like like I said Saturday night, Dylan Gabriel playing that well could be his own worst enemy because Oklahoma's building these huge leads, and then Jackson Arnold gets to come in and be like, oh, my God, who is this guy? Going to be uh, very interesting to uh, to keep uh, keep an eye on. All right, anything? Uh, I think that's about it for me. Any anything else you want to make sure we hit? Any last minute calls on Clemson and Duke? Any any vibes, thoughts, hunches? I played some alt under, like Sick. just like like yeah, just there's uh, not. I don't think people should tail this, but I don't like un, these alternate lines are priced based on on the spread, right? They're basically just derivatives of the spread. Week one, there's a lot of uncertainty as these spreads because we don't really know what these teams are. So I think that you're giving up more juice in these situations, and it's normally not a great bet, but I don't think that they're quite as sharp in week one because, again, we don't really know what these are. So there's certainly a chance for Clemson to just abuse Duke's offensive line or for Clemson's offense to not fully be clicking yet. Like 42 to 3? I mean – I don't know, like 31, 14 type stuff. Maybe. Yeah, I was thinking 45. Uh, you could talk. It's at, is it still at 55 and a half? I'm guessing. You could talk so. me all, all the way down to 45, and I could yeah. see it. Obviously, you'd want to be getting the good price uh, or if you're going to be giving up 10 points. Cover three, listener, viewer, exclusive advantage. I will have to put out a Twitter tip of the day for tonight's game because there is a game. I'm not going to, I don't know what it is yet. And whatever it ends up being, I'm not going to be all that confident in it. So just putting that out there. Just a heads up. (laughs) This is me doing my duty. Yeah. To the people and the process. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. All right. We 
We'll be back on Wednesday. It's Wednesday. It's game week. What does that mean? We're going to get you with some big game breakdowns. Early look ahead to the biggest games of week two, which includes two schools named Tex, Te, Texa, Texas and Alabama okay. are playing a football game. Uh, also, the Coach Prime experience continues. Colorado, Nebraska. Uh, we will be doing in-depth mat- matchups to watch. Uh, the angles that we're looking at, not just our picks, but really diving into what we're going to be keeping an eye on for the biggest games on Saturday. Big game breakdowns coming up on Wednesday, along with all the latest from across the country. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See you show is fire country i'm not a hero i'm in orange for a reason they're taking 12 months off your sentence you're free lady with a special epic season finale now that i'm out i need something to get me up in the morning you are a firefighter used to be that will be unforgettable in the name of your life's happiness go get your girl she's getting married tomorrow says when do you let anything get in the way of what you want the fire country season finale friday 9 8 central on cbs and streaming on paramount plus